0: Yeah, I wanted to be part of the solution because I do believe that a lot of our evangelization, especially in this particular post-Christian age, in this very secular age, really needs to focus on healing, really needs to focus on Christ the healer. It's like that. People don't know God. They're not sure about the Catholic Church. In fact, they're mostly more than a little hostile about the Catholic Church. But what they do know is that they're hurting.
1: Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are Power for Impact. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ron Huntley. Thank you for all that you do in your businesses, and your church to lead well. Today's guest is the author of Four Ways Forward. Uh, I'm with Susan Windley doust and and Susan is the director of Missionary Discipleship at the Diocese of Wyona Rochester. And so Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. I have it highlighted and just notes on the side. I laughed. I stopped and I thought and I reflected and I was nodding and I was saying amen. And and I learned so much from your book. So thank you for taking the time to put pen to paper with your wisdom and your experience.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's great to get feedback. It's a kind of lonely enterprise when you're (laughs) writing and you hope somebody's going to say something, that's all right,
1: <laughs> right? It is. It's, yeah, it's you're you're going on a hope and You've a prayer. You've
0: before. You know this. It's kind I of do. All you right, know, maybe. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And so for for those of you that are listening, this yeah. whole book looks at it's, the subtitle is becoming an apostolic parish in a post Christian world. Like hello, <laughs> like isn't that everyone's struggle right now? Like we are in a change of an age. Right. And and the way we did things in the past is not bearing the fruit that we'd like it to. And we all know it. And so becoming an apostolic parish is not easy. Becoming an apostolic leader is not easy. So we're going right. to talk about some of those principles um, that came that uh, Susan talked about in her book. But I'd like to start with part of your story that you tell in the book that yeah. I just found so fascinating. Because you're an educator and right. you've been an educator for a period of time. Can you share with us that some insights into what you saw over the years as you were been educated. Tell us that.
0: Sure. Yeah, I um, was college professor of theology for, I think, 22 years total. Um, that, that's what I did, you know, straight out of the gate and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved teaching, mostly worked with undergraduate students and taught a lot of general education classes. So, you know, everybody was so happy to be there. Not really have <laughs> mandatory but they course had to take the courses to to get the um degree right so in one of these general education courses that i taught just about every semester it was called christian view of the human person i had them write a spiritual autobiography and Man. when i first assigned that um again really at the very beginning of my career i thought it's like ooh, i'm not sure anybody's really going to choose this one they're probably going to choose to The option to do to read a religious autobiography and do a critique. Like they're not going to open up like that. I was so raw. Almost everyone, every single time, did the religious autobiography, and they would say things like, "Wow, nobody's ever asked me to sort of think about this before." So, I mean, they loved the assignment. I was honored to read their assignment. Um, Uh But one of the things that I really saw was the rise of the nuns. <laughs> Honestly, over those twenty mm. years in a big way. Um, like I said, I taught at a Catholic university and um, well, you know, when I started there, it was about sixty percent self identifying Catholic and most of the rest were self identifying Christian. Um by the time I left it was about fifty fifty. So not you know, it was really before things dropped in a big way with this generation. But you could see in their stories, they were dropping already. I I don't know what they were thinking when they were putting things down on paper uh, in terms of, you know, what do you self-identify as in terms of religious affiliation. But on the other hand, you could just see with each passing year, more and more students saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this matters. It's kind of, I know you want me to say at this point, it's like, you know, this is where god helps because a lot of them have some really difficult stories i think every human being does when you come right down to it but mm-hmm. for their age it was always just touching and kind of heartbreaking uh what they had already lived through right it's so like i know you want to tell me it's like this is where you lean on god where god steps in you know that, that you have a you have a friend in jesus and you know any one of those things like and he was like i, I just don't know and to be honest not sure they care right Uh i mean there's a big sort of meh going on
1: Uh
0: with these things but you know that would be a little bit more it would be difficult for me to accept as a christian who really holds this as being um You know, the identity of my Mm -hmm. life and everybody else's life, you know, so transformative. God is so good. It's kind of like everybody wants to know (laughs) about Mm. God. They just look in other places. But uh, with these guys, you know, increasingly it was just a, I'm not sure I even have the energy to ask the questions. It was a very bizarre shift and we would talk about it honestly within our theology department it's like what is going on here um, but i didn't really connect a lot of the dots until the very end of my time uh teaching when when god sort of took a two by four to me it's like you really need to get into evangelization it's like do you um, see what's happening in front of you it's kind of like you're, you're feeding them meat when they really need milk right you're starting a little too high you're assuming their disciples when, you know, God bless them, they're not, you know, they're not, it's, they're not identifying with a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't even know that that's possible. So, yeah, that, no, no, no. that kind of brought me to a place where I decided to leave academia and was given this job as director of missionary discipleship,
1: working with parishes. Well, geez, a couple things. Like even the fact that you saw this, you experienced this, you were reflecting on this, you were impacted by this and you allowed yourself to be convicted by God to shift. That tells me that you didn't have a job. You had a vocation because if you were just doing your job, you would have kept this wonderful job as a professor and kept doing your job, had wonderful vacations and enjoyed your family. But it sounds to me like, no, I felt like I needed to make a difference. I felt like this, like, right? Because why else would you change? Uh, Like, so good on you. Like, way to go.
0: Well, (laughs) thank you. But, you know, honestly, if you're a person of prayer, it's kind of like, and God tells you directly, you need to leave. It's like, it it does become a moment, doesn't it? Right? It's like, you need to leave and you need to do this. I mean, it was a very direct call. Mm -hmm. And I could have said yes or no or pretend that it didn't happen. And I couldn't pretend it didn't happen. It did and so you know it probably took longer than it should have but you know within a few weeks kind of like well okay lord i mean if you are really really saying this it's like you need to find me the the work though for right. this because we're in a position where it's like i'm yeah uh, the person with the health insurance for my family and that sort of thing we're in the united states here yeah. i not
1: yeah
0: <laughs> and so i mean really literally days after that The vicar general of this diocese came to me and it's like, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but would you ever consider like leaving teaching to work for the diocese?
1: You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not. Oh, (laughs) mom. That's exactly how it
0: happens. So, you know, you open the door (laughs) (laughs) when God knocks and it's like, okay, great, here you go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. You know, you said something else that I think is so important to understand for people that are listening that, you know, you know, as a theology department, you were assuming that everyone was already disciples. Like that was right. the underlying assumption. You're a Catholic university, it's a fair assumption. I would suggest that, and I see it all the time, that at Catholic churches, priests assume that everybody there is Catholic and everybody <laughs> there is a disciple. And I thought, that, I think to myself, what a horrible assumption. Like that assumes several things. One, you're not evangelizing because you're bringing nobody new. Two, nobody's inviting their friends and family or neighbors that aren't Christian. Like We make all these assumptions that everything we talk about makes sense to everybody in front of us and everybody's Catholic and everybody believes what we believe. I would say the opposite assumption would be a far more hospitable assumption and more effective.
0: No, I Um, think so too. I mean, part of the challenge is that we have these sacraments of initiation. And I think for a lot of people who are in leadership, they assume it's like you have the sacraments of initiation, then you're a disciple. It's like 98% of parishes that I've encountered in terms of the sacrament of confirmation in the United States, this usually happens when a person is a teenager. And -hmm. they say, it's like, well, see, they get to make a decision. It's like, yeah, but what does it mean when they make that decision, they receive the sacrament and the overwhelming majority never return again? It's like, yeah receiving the sacraments of initiation does not automatically engage discipleship it does some very real things okay but if the openness to that and you know to that relationship is not there it's not doing what a lot of people in leadership assume right it, no. it, it can't have the effect that it's designed to have that it's meant to have until somebody opens themselves up and to, to really unwrap those gifts.
1: Well, you know you talk about the sacraments of initiation. Um well, so often in so many parts of the world that's attached to the Catholic school which is like talk about yeah the, the choice what choice do you have when when culturally everybody in that grade is expected to do such a that's not a right. choice. Are you kidding right. me? Like right. that that is We're systemically moving people through sacraments they don't want to be a part of an organization they don't want to belong to. Like we're not initiating them into a family of faith at all. They don't want to be a part of the family of faith. Their parents, the probably the number one issue that I get in coaching uh, Catholic uh, pastors and their teams around Mm -hmm. around the world is, and everybody says the same thing. Yeah, we got to get the people at school. Nobody goes to mass or very few people go to mass, they just don't care. It's like, you hit that on the head. But they also (laughs) think that that's low-hanging fruit. And I often think, or they've been inoculated with the power of the gospel. We've given them just enough of Catholicism to know they don't want it. It, You know, schools are such a challenge, honestly. Uh, I I mean,
0: and they have such incredible possibilities. There's no question about it. I mean, I've seen Catholic schools just produce some very effective disciples, but there needs to be a lot of intentionality about it, right? You can't just assume that if you give people information about the Catholic faith and you have mass, say, once a month or whatever, that that's going to do it. It's like, in my experience, sometimes schools are going to assume it's like, well, they need to be getting it at home, which they do, honestly, okay? And... You know, home is going to say it's like, well, they're getting it at school, you know, and when they're both saying that, nobody is getting it.
1: Right?
0: Mm. You're passing the buck when really it's everybody's job to try to invite people into discipleship. But see, that's a hard thing for adults to do, you know, leaders are not when they don't quite have a grasp of what it means to be a disciple, right? <laughs> You're right. It's like, you know, the whole idea of, parishes even having a discipleship plan is just a brand new idea for most parishes right it's the rare parish in my part of the world that actually has adult faith formation Mm -hmm. yeah and we need that i mean do you actually think it's like oh we've got it all at age 18 it's like we don't look literally anything (laughs) else that we Uh, do in uh, life uh, uh, uh. except apparently religion (laughs) but i mean it's just so sad because there's such incredible riches within our tradition. Oh, and, and you know, and you know, and these don't need to be like, y- you don't need to be an intellectual powerhouse to appreciate these things. You know, yeah. we're, we're talking about the walk of discipleship. We're talking about a deepening spirituality. It's like Teresa of Avila is actually one of the most accessible writers I've ever read. You know, uh-huh. and certainly her ideas are even more accessible. It's like, this is really available to everyone, but it's a rare Catholic adult that knows that.
1: Oh. It really is. It's tough, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, I know so many Catholic educators that their hearts are absolutely in the right place. They're yes. dynamite disciples and they're Great. laying their life down in service of the church through the schools and everything else. And it is a slugfest. And again, I know so many pastors have the best intentions. They are disciples, and they are doing everything they can, and it's tough. So all to say that those of you that are in the education world and or trying to work with schools and turning a church around, I know how hard it is. It really is hard. Incredibly worthwhile. Best journey ever, but it is a fight. You know, One of the things that you talk about in the first chapters that were beyond Chrysostom,
0: Tell yeah, me what,
1: tell me what you mean by that. What are you seeing? What do you what do you, what's your discernment on all that?
0: Oh gosh, well, you know, if your um your listeners or viewers are familiar with Monsignor James Shea and his book from beyond Christendom to Apostolic Mission, it's like I'm reading Christendom in the way that he is as well. And that is not as some kind of um, period in the Catholic Church where we're talking about the church being in charge of a nation state or a culture. Uh, Some people do call that Christendom. He thinks of it more as a time period where we've really got a Christian imagination in the Um. culture. and. You know, Tim Glankowski, who's another uh, writer and person I, I admire very much in his book Made for Mission, uh, talks about it a lot more colloquially when he says, look, we used to have a culture that was like playing bowling, only you had bumpers, okay? <laughs> so So if you threw your mission ball down, you know, to try to hit those pins and you really messed it up, okay, and it's going for the gutter, it would get bounced right back into play because the culture had yeah. a kind of christian imagination uh-huh. right it's kind people was like oh yeah, yeah 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 you want to go here instead okay we don't have that anymore right? right we have a secular imagination in almost all ways and you know there are some good things about the secular imagination it's like uh-huh. i don't want to say that it's all bad but there are ways in which it's really pretty disastrous for Christians um there are lots of pres- and especially for Christians that grew up in a Christendom culture there there are lots of things that are presumed in the secular age that um are really counter to Christianity so we're called to be countercultural in a way that most people my age and older just have not grown up within and that makes it hard because we're the ones now in leadership and we're now inheriting this mission land that really has a different set of ideas and values that is animating the culture Mm -hmm. um and we've got some young people including young people that we ourselves have raised (laughs) Mm -hmm. who are really very informed by that secular age so you know there's no assumption really that um God's behind all of this. There's definitely no assumption that God is present in the world. It's like, you know, it's a very deist understanding of God. God is up there. Um, if God exists at all, God set things going and, and we're off to figure it out on our own. You know, the identity wars that are so much part of us in in the past 10, 15 years, it's kind of, you know, there, there's a grain of justice realities going on there for sure but on the other hand the idea of like your prime identity is as a son or a daughter of the living god would be you know you can imagine how that's heard people just go what right what yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah people are very busy trying to define themselves when we've already been gifted an identity and yeah. they don't know it yeah yeah
1: Hey, Amen. Well, geez, you know, you talk about the disastrous. You know, for Christians, this post-Christian era can be disastrous. Boy, for non-Christians, I see it even as even more disastrous because of those very things. Like they're they're st- they think they're starting from scratch. Uh,
0: right. They, right. Well, in fact, I meant to say this when I was talking about the spiritual autobiographies. You know, it would be one thing to take the spiritual autobiographies where people were just kind of going meh, and say it's like well. um that's too bad, really. But on the other hand, they're not happy. Okay, right. it would be one thing if they were saying, it's "Like you know, I guess I don't really care," um, but they're miserable, absolutely miserable. I mean, yeah. they are a wounded people. Now we all are, but they're a wounded people that really doesn't know where the doctor is, and, um, and that's just not hard. It's dangerous.
1: Yeah, um, wounded people who are losing hope and have very little direction. Like that is scary. Like right. I've, as a Christian, I've made my fair share of stupid decisions and right. self-centered periods of life where it's just like, that was really dumb. Right. And, and uh but I, there was always this pull to man up and be who God's calling me to be and stop running from him. So there was this narrative that, you know i may have been in a season of rebellion or disobedience or or mm-hmm. or blind whatever but i always knew it was wrong i <laughs> you know that it's like you you know and they just always And when just, you don't
0: know that it's yeah, wrong when, you when you're not know. even sure if there is right or wrong right mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> when even
0: that is on the table it just gets really really difficult and yeah. you know a lot of my pull to evangelization It wasn't because I wanted to leave my students. I wanted to be part of being a world where they could find healing. Um, And I was just pretty convicted that they needed something before they needed teaching. And later on, I figured out it's like, well, this is actually just the wisdom of the church. It's kind of like people need to be evangelized before they're catechized, never mind learning theology, okay, (laughs) which kind (laughs) of goes after catechesis. So, yeah, I wanted to be part of the solution because I do believe that a lot of our evangelization, especially in this particular post-Christian age, in this very secular age, really needs to focus on healing, really needs to focus on Christ the healer. It's like that. People don't know God. They're not sure about the Catholic Church. In fact, they're mostly more than a little hostile about the Catholic Church. But what they do know is that they're hurting. That i heard over and over and over again. And if you know you're hurting, and we know, it's like, well, by all means, you know, go to the doctor, go to the psychologist, you know, go to the the various,
1: you know. um, Supports and resources. Exactly,
0: go go to all kinds of experts who, who have dedicated their lives to helping you in this way. But also, really, we've got someone here uh, who can help you with those people in ways that you cannot imagine
1: uh, because
0: some of your challenge is deeper than the mental illness. It's deeper than, you know, the trauma, the, um, the very real trauma that you may have lived through. So, Amen. Yeah. I, I think that's really our evangelical call uh, right yeah. now is to say, Jesus Christ is real, he's alive, and he's a healer, and he's here for you. And that's where it starts. Because people who are wounded are just too wounded to, you know, listen to a lecture, to read the catechism. I mean, they need to be addressed with where their pain is first before they can actually... Because when you get people excited about Jesus Christ, then you can't stop them from oh. going into the resources kind of give me that catechism or give coming me that to the sacraments bible.
1: again and everything else exactly
0: yeah. it's kind of you know All right i'm going to do this pod this bible in a year pod that's <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> every yeah. single day it's like but i mean try to get them to do that before while they're still wounded when they're not even sure that this matters it's like kind of, it's putting the cart before the horse in such a big amen. way amen
1: yeah. you know I loved what you said about that pain, too, and the help that people should be seeking out. Because, you know, if it's psychological, then get psychological help. If it's physical, then get physical help. If it's medical, get medical help. But some of this is spiritual. We are spiritual beings. That's just a matter of fact. And it's like we've, this post-Christian culture just ignores that. And then we get ourselves into spiritual trouble. Well, there are spiritual solutions to our spiritual pain. But we For have sure. to acknowledge the fact that it's part of being human and stop denying that and maybe maybe explore that is there does God is it possible God has something to say? Right. And and you and I both know the answer is yes, but boy, there's nothing like, and this is evangelization, let's segue to this, there's nothing like okay. when somebody who doesn't know all of a sudden knows it's the funnest thing in the world. Their whole <laughs> life changes. It's like Oh my gosh, I didn't even know this Vista existed. Right. And it changes everything. Right. Right. It changes no, everything. It does. So, yeah. It, does. it changes their autobiography. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so it's so,
0: like, oh, I've got a story to tell you. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. I used to think no, like you think this is what happened and this is the difference it's made. That's right. And it's just, I never grow tired of those stories. And so as you transitioned, you know, your vicar general gives you an invitation. Yes. Yeah. You uh, continue to follow the prompting that God put on your heart. Tell me a little bit about what that's done for you, shifting into that space, and maybe too why priests and other leaders who may be very trained and competent in catechesis and education, yeah. like what are they in for? Like what's the what's the word for them? So tell me a little bit about your
0: oh boy transition. Um, okay, well, this was a new position um, for my diocese. Um, And it really came out of my Vicar General's conviction uh, when he went to the Convocation for Catholic Leaders in the United States, which had been, I think, the year prior at that point. And and that was a great big gathering together in Orlando that I was not at. um, But many people were uh, really talking about how do we really get our head around evangelization in the United States in this age at this time? Uh And he came back saying, it's like, we see our numbers you know, and we know the people in our pews as well as in our communities. like we don't need to take this line down. So, so he offered this position to me. But because it was new, um, it meant we needed to figure out, it's like, well, what is this even going to look like?
1: Of course, yeah, <laughs>
0: what do, do now. All right, yeah. And so, my position was sort of in two parts, really, it still is, and that is really focus on creating some diocesan or inviting some diocesan. Um, outreaches and apostolates that really focus on Christ the healer because he was also very convicted about. We've got a lot of wounded people out there. It just seems to be increasing. It's like we really need to make make the Catholic Church known for its healing ministries much more than what it's known for lots of other things that we, Uh you know, regret and um, are still in pain about. Uh That's half of it. The other half of it was really meeting with every um, pastor in the diocese. That was my first six months. And listening about what's going well at your parish. You know, it's like, what's the challenge? It's kind. Of, where does evangelization fit into this for you? And so forth. I'm basically meant to be a consultant to any parish in my diocese about how uh-huh. do we turn into becoming evangelizing parishes as Pope Francis would say in the joy of the gospel. Uh, so one of the things I learned from well first off the healing ministry stuff just took off boy i mean it, it just tapped a need uh, and that was beautiful to see give me in give me one or par- two
1: give me one yeah. or two examples of what types of healing ministries that okay, got Okay sure yeah
0: i mean really our biggest success story i would say would be um reinviting unbound prayer ministry into unbound? our diocese yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so there's a
1: book called unbound right
0: absolutely yeah. yeah and this yeah. is Heart of the father ministries and i can't recommend them enough they they do some absolutely remarkable work and we were really blessed that um there were a handful of people in the diocese who were trained in this about 10 years prior to my start uh-huh. and had been praying for diocesan ministry for those 10 years and i had it in my mind because i just read the book honestly and thought so, it's like boy this is really really good it's like i wonder if we could introduce this in and i mentioned it and those people like were we just like for this for 10 years yeah <laughs> so yeah it, that was amazing but awesome that that's been great um catholic and recovery was another uh new awesome. apostle it's still pretty new that we invited in uh which is exactly what it sounds like uh, for for people who are in recovery from various addictions um
1: like a 10 it's step like AA. or 12 step. Yeah, perfect. It's
0: like yeah. AA, but 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 it has a sort of specifically catholic bent. Gotcha. So it's not meant not meant to be in competition, but really actually to work together for people. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So,
1: thank you. That went really thank well. you. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, those things started to take off, which was awesome. Continue.
0: Yeah. All right, sure. Um and then working with the parishes, um, that was the heart of it and it still is, honestly. But, what I learned was that, first off, all the pastors, it's like nobody's really against evangelization. No. you know? I mean, they may not necessarily like the word. They may prefer to use other terms, and that's okay. Um nobody's against evangelization, but I cut on I mean, <laughs> the idea of every single one of them said, we need to um evangelize the people in our pews first and it's like i don't disagree it's like but if you get people from outside of your parish you know if you focus on evangelizing people outside of your parish they'll be the ones who will evangelize the people inside your parish and another one of the pieces that i continually heard was and i completely sympathize the longer i'm here it's like I just can't do one more thing. I mean, I'm one human being. There's just so much further I can stretch, and I'm already, you know, trying not to get that close to the breaking point for my Uh people. So, here's the good news for you: It's like I don't want you to do this. I want your parish to do this. It's like, Uh look, when we talk about evangelization, it's a call of the baptized. So, one of the cultural shifts that we need to make uh, is. A pretty old one that a lot of people know of and it's like we need to get out of the father's going to take care of that mentality um and the role of the pastor is really to set the vision and be the leadership to encourage the people of the parish it's like this is actually your call it's like and you want to take up this call It's like, you may not be using the words evangelization, but there are things that you really care about where that's really what's going on underneath. You know, every one of you parents that is worried about your kids that are not coming to church, guess what? You are wishing you could evangelize your children. That's what's going on right there. It's like, so let me give you some tools and some encouragement and some Uh prayer to help you do just that. It's like, all right, those of you who work in the larger community, it's like, and you wish you could do something I with know. these people over here. It's kind of, What you're talking about is, you know, possibly a number of things, but it includes evangelization. It's like, Am it I? includes inviting them to consider Jesus, to pray with them, you know, to, you know, just introduce them to anything at our church and let uh-huh. them know. It's like, we're here for you, you know, can... if you wanted to explore more, it's invitation. We need to become a culture of invitation. Mm-hmm. So. It's not that much, to be honest, that we're asking pastors to do. Now, they could do a whole lot more, and I know some do. It's like, but it's really about empowering the laity. Mm -hmm. So,
1: well, it's it's, it's like
0: Vatican II had this meaning that we didn't quite discover until like 10 years ago, right? Because we talk a lot about the universal call to holiness and we talk about the empowerment of the laity, but I, I don't know. I you know, when I was growing up, when I was studying theology, we just didn't connect that with evangelization I until mean. very recently now. And it was like this great big aha moment. It's like this. This is it. This is the role of the landy. It's like, oh, and everybody can do this. It's just we haven't seen it modeled by anybody. Okay. So we all have to do it for the first time. And that's the scary part. But we can do it together. And it gets a lot Amen. less scary.
1: In the work that I've done, I love in your book, um, you give props to Christ Life and Dave Nodar and all the great yeah. work he's done as yeah. well as Alpha. And I love that. I love Dave. I think he's amazing. And yeah. uh, and, and and what I find was, because I've done a lot of work with, with Alpha and again, love Dave Nodar and Christ Life, gray program. Um, but the truth is, and this is my experience, because I remember years ago, you know, the the Alpha coordinator for Atlanta, Canada. She's just amazing, Elaine Young. Um, and, you know, she'd get so excited about different things as it related to, to numbers. And, and if there were Catholic churches doing alpha, she'd get really excited. But I was never as excited because I knew how awful we were at leadership. Like the Catholic Church is so awful at leadership that even something as good as Christ's life or Alpha rarely produces the fruit it could or should because we literally don't know how to lead. It's not a part of their formation or education. And it's okay in the sense as well it is what it is but it's not okay to continue to go forward like that because no matter what program you use it's going to fall woefully short until we understand what it means to lead and and that's where i spend my time like my passion is leadership my first love is jesus and his church and so so you know if your evangelization efforts aren't working and we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show yeah. It's it's okay. Don't give up. But it probably has more to do with your under your self identity as a pastor and what it means to lead than it does the actual program itself. And and so I would suggest that those things need to go hand in hand, because it's one thing to say we we need to empower the lady, but they don't know how. Right. Yeah. There, they, there's
0: one thing to expect a group of people to do something, and there's another. Way
1: of leading
0: mm-hmm. a group of people to do yeah. something, it doesn't mean doing it for them. It's like, and, and let me say, I mean, this should be really, really obvious to people. Is like, kind of, if evangelization is the work of the presbyterate, we won't get anywhere, and it's not because they aren't good men no. and, and even holy men. It's like heroic, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not dissing on the priests at all. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing an an amazing job in many cases with in some very difficult situations and times. Hey, Amen. But on the other hand, it's like just sheer numbers is uh-huh. kind of like and this was not the way that God meant for it to be. All right, the Great Commission was given eternally and to every single one of us. It really is a baptismal call. So this does mean a lot of education, okay? Education's not going to get us everywhere, but I mean, we really need to spend some time, and people have been spending some time thinking about it's like, OK, So how do I do this new thing? Right?
1: Uh-huh. It,
0: it helps me that you know, historically, people have done this new thing. <laughs> but how do I do this new thing? What does that look like? And there um, are just the an enormous number I was we were talking about this in the pre-show too, um, about uh, the Holy Spirit has been so active really in the past 30 years, just raising up different apostolates to do exactly this. I mean, it's part of the reason I wrote the book was because there are just so darn many of them that I kept talking to the priest like, well, I don't know what I was thinking Mm -hmm. about you know, Christ Life and Alpha and the Amazing Parish and discipleship <laughs> quads and um, and this and this and this and this.
1: Evangelical kind of like, Catholic and yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing Parish. You exactly,
0: know. exactly right. Yeah. It's like, there's so many options. They couldn't tell the difference between them. Yeah. Um, it's like, do I need to do all of them? I can't do all of them. It's like, well, I did one of them and it didn't work. It's like, well, one's probably not going to work at all. Know. I don't know. So, so, yeah. It's yeah. Like, but, I mean, the good news in that is, All these apostolates have something really important to offer. They really do. And and they're actually working out of some insights that I really believe are given to us by Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit to help us engage. How do we become mission forward? How do we become apostolic? Um, It's a shift. It's a cultural shift. but, But we can do this. We absolutely can do this. And God's helping us do it.
1: Susan, describe for me what do you mean by how do we become apostolic? So if you say that, I'm going to ask you two questions. One, what does that mean, and how do I know where I'm at if I'm a priest listening to this or a layperson listening to this? Okay. Why is that important? What does it mean, and how do I figure out where I'm at with that?
0: So you hear the word apostle, and it means sent, right? Do you believe that you are sent? And who are you sent to? I mean, can you answer those questions? <laughs> Something really as basic as that. If your answer is, I, I would say, if you're um, a pastor or staff, you have a, a director position in a parish, and you say it's like, well, I'm sent to, you know, the people who, you know, come into this church. It's like, I'm sorry, but that's the wrong answer. It's like and I'm going to be bold to say that because my answer comes from scripture. Okay you're sent to go and make disciples of all nations you're supposed to go and be my witnesses and it's not right. just to the people who come into the door i mean sure don't ignore them i get it <laughs> but right. on the other hand it's i think one of the most important things that we've really lost as a culture is understanding that the parish as a geographical area okay. um and that actually cults People a lot when I mention it because it's kind of your parish is not your church. Okay. Right. Your parish is your geographical area. And you have a geographical area because it's a mission field. Okay. I mean, canonically, pastors are actually responsible for the spiritual welfare of every single person who lives in that geographical area, whether they're Catholic or not. It's uh-huh. so, like that gives you a big clue as to how we're supposed to be acting. We're supposed to be doing this outreach. We're supposed to be serving our community, certainly beyond our community as well. We're a global village in ways that we never used to be, mm. but that doesn't mean at the expense of our community. Right. It's like God put us in our particular place for a reason, right, and gives us the graces to work with that particular place. Mm. So, yeah, that's what I mean by becoming apostolic. I mean, really looking outward Right, really recognizing who am I sent to, right? It's not just, and I would say most bump into you,
1: right? And I'd say most Catholics don't feel one bit sent. They feel like, no, I go to church, right? They they don't necessarily. This is
0: my choice, and if I don't like this one, I'll go to another, (laughs) right?
1: Right, and and, you know, I was just reading. I've been reading this week through the first letter of Peter, and in chapter five it says this, which is, it there's just so much in scripture. Like there are just so yeah. many perspectives in scripture. It says this, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watch over them. And so that language just says, Hey, you're the priest. Um, we're going to give you a bunch of vulnerable, borderline useless people and just take care of them because they're not, they're really vulnerable and weak and pretty much useless. So just, just, coddle them and care for them and i think to myself well th- that might be the case for some people they're going to be vulnerable and broken and yes we need to heal them but i would suggest that you know this is your this is your team to mobilize for impact like mob- make the right. world a better place like give right. people meaning and purpose by laying down their life in love and service of others help them make a positive Unbelievable impact in the world. You're never happier than you are when you're using your gifts to to make others great. And to me, that's yeah. the church at its best. It's not this. I remember watching the podcast with. Uh, I really enjoy Jordan Peterson. I really enjoy Bishop okay. Robert Barron. And uh, and it's my bishop, a, by the way. No, it's not. It is. That's awesome. <laughs> Come on.
0: Yeah, uh, it, and it, was it, it shocked us all. He got appointed to Winona Rochester. So anyway, is that go right? on. oh, Sorry. that's
1: fantastic. So he's going to hear this. So I have to be careful yeah. what I said next. And so, <laughs> I'd love to have him on the podcast, by the way. But you know, they talked, and and Jordan really challenged him. You know, you know what the problem is with the the Catholic Church, and Jordan has a ton of respect for the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. He said, uh, "You don't ask enough of people." I just thought that was so cool. I thought that yeah. was so cool because we ask a ton of our priests, but we don't ask a ton of our lay people. Right. And and I I can be honest, like it I, I look at my own evolution as a leader, a lay leader in the church. And I remember I used to run alpha like this. Now I'd recruit people to be on team and then just I'd say, Wendy, you know what, can you would you be interested in, in serving on team? We'd love to have you. I think you're great with people. And I know how much you love Jesus in the church. I think you'd have a ton of fun. And well, how much time are you asking, Ron? Uh, well, you know, we, we like you to be there a half hour early and stay a half hour late and like come in the weekend. Plus you have two training sessions, but if you can't make all those, that's okay. You just give us what you can. And I used to that's what I'd say to people. And so I'd basically say, give us as little as possible and I will do all the rest. I was just like a priest. That's priests do that so often. Like they just, they don't want to inconvenience people because they know they're busy. And so they ask very little of them. They give them all kinds of outs. And then, and then you pick up the, and that's exactly how I used to lead until one point I was challenged by somebody to say, don't ask everything of people, allow them to fail and keep, be there to pick them up and encourage them, but expect a ton from people. And when I shifted my expectations, their contribution went through the roof. It went through the roof. And I stopped filling in their blanks and started letting them feel the weight of failure. Yeah. For the sake of learning and growth, right. it changed everything. Right. And, but boy, it took me a lot of years to risk failure. I was so, I would be willing to do anything as if I was the world's savior, I was our church's savior, I was that program's savior. I had to get rid of this messiah complex and start learning to lead. And it wasn't easy for me.
0: You know, it's interesting. You're you're talking about uh, risking failure, but you could also say it's like you're also risking success. You know, right? A really wild success when you put a certain level of expectation on people. This is a really, really tricky piece. Okay. And I'm going to say this. It's like, you know, I work with pastors, but I'm also a lay person. It's like, I'm married, I have five kids, you know. (laughs) I'm well aware of the whole time management piece in a big way. Um, And we have a culture now, especially with our younger people, where we feel busier than we've ever felt. You know, I've been reading a number of things about this, too. And a lot of this does have to do with social media and how it becomes such a, a, an incredible time suck. I mean, um, I, I think social media could be at least a neutral thing, even positive. But, yeah, we're online way more than we used to be. And it makes us feel busier than we are. People are man. often really doing the hustle culture. It's kind of like they don't have one job. They have two jobs and maybe three jobs. So there are some real challenges to asking more. It's like but I would encourage us to challenge that way of living. That's not okay. right. Not not to it's like, all right. I not understand you maybe you may be working it, yeah. two jobs because you really mm-hmm. can't make ends meet inside like, uh-huh. and and by gums like I want to be there for you in, in any way that's possible in that regard. It's like but think a little bit about it. Uh it's it's like is there really a different way? It's like, or are you just saying, it's like, everybody has a hustle culture. I need to do that too. Right. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. could you live with less? Is that a possibility for you? It's like, or, you know, is there another way to go for a job that pays more? You know, I mean, all the practical pieces, but I don't blame our millennials and our Gen Z people for feeling very stuck Um. in this regard. It really seems to me like they're on a hamster wheel and no. uh, making room on that hamster wheel for the time because it will take time to dive into discipleship and evangelization just feels impossible even if they want to. Uh-huh. It's not impossible. I mean, that's where that's where your piece comes in Skype. we need to challenge people it's like you can't get this in on the side and and you know just the the, the slightest way it takes time to let god transform your heart mm-hmm. right most Same of the time on. doesn't come boom like a thunderbolt it takes time but it's so worth it there's really nothing more important when you come right down to it
1: um. so Amen. Yeah,
0: I just wanted to put that in there. It's... <laughs> no,
1: I, I I agree with you. And the key thing about leadership, you know, I have a friend who's selling a house right now, and it's really discouraging because uh, a sale fell through and sure. you know, really early on, and then the doubt starts to creep in, and then the price drops, and then am I yeah. ever going to sell the house? And so all these things come in. But the truth is, you need one buyer. <laughs> right. You need one buyer who values right. what you valued to make them. That's it. And so, so often in leadership, we're influenced by the culture and how everybody's experiencing it. But you don't—you don't—you're not trying to solve the culture in one fell swoop. You're trying to find a person, or five people, or twenty people in your church who who are faithful, available, contagious, and teachable, uh, who will uh-huh. make the time because their influence on everybody else is going to take root and shift things. And, and so. You know, you're only trying to find a handful of people. Jesus changed the world with twelve. He invested disproportionately in Peter, James, and John. Uh, you know, that's right. And so, in in leadership itself, don't be discouraged by no's. Uh, don't be discouraged by people who let you down. But continue to to hold a high standard for where you're going, why you're going there, and what you're asking. You'll find the people if your vision is compelling enough, and and it's rooted in something that excites people. Which, which. That's what vision is all about—a picture of the future that creates excitement and passion. Right. Um, you'll get your people. Don't give up. It's 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 a really you know I'd say absolutely vision is a, don't you know,
0: give up, but also I mean I continually say it's like pray and make a plan. Yeah. It's like you know I, you know another thing that I I I encounter not just with priests also with, it's like you know I'm praying for this and it's like and God bless them it's like good because I'm afraid too many people aren't praying for. It but yeah we need to pray for this change we need to pray for this mission um but pray to make a good plan uh-huh. to implement the mission it doesn't just happen on its own right yeah. you don't want to be the person who's sort of throwing the noodles at the wall and just hoping something sticks it's kind of like, you can actually plan this out a little yeah. bit and you gave some points just right in there it's kind of like, you know you need one buyer it's kind of, you need a small group it's kind. Of, yes you need to find the people in your parish if you don't know them already who mm-hmm. are going to be the people who are going to help lead this charge amen. they're going to pray with you they're going to help you think through it's like kind of, how do i reorganize this parish in such a way that we're more focused on the mission than we are on bingo or on fridays right
1: amen <laughs> not, amen I mean
0: because you don't want to do this alone and you have people who will support you on this. It may feel like you don't, because the people who are going to be loud are going to be the people who are not going to support you, but you are going to have supporters and you need to cool, you know, get those people into a corral um, and empower them. It's like, I need you to lead the charge with me.
1: Mm-hmm. With yeah. Me. Amen. And there are Damn. different
0: ways to do that. You could do that through, you know, a small group process. You could certainly do that through something like Alpha or Christ Life, which really focuses on the whole hospitality piece and, you know, it teaches people how to invite. One of the things that I love most about that, the whole process, is that it really teaches them. It's like you're not going to die if you invite somebody to this. Right. It's so like, in fact, you'll have fun together. That's the other piece of evangelization. It's actually fun. <laughs> Right. It's joyful. Um, You know, there's all that. It's like you you could do a parish mission, but think about how you're going to follow up on that parish mission. How are you going to invite people outside of your parish to that parish mission? You have so many opportunities. God will show you which one is the right one, I believe, if you pray for that kind of discernment. You don't need to do it alone. Do it with a small group of people in your parish who can see a better future. For your finished. Amen.
1: Amen. As I've worked with pastors to teach them how to lead out of a team, and that doesn't mean all these ministries, because I expect them to have all those ministries, but really grab a handful of people around them and meet with them every single week to discern priorities, to discuss solutions to real problems, and to make the best decisions humanly possible so that you're not making them on your own. You know there's no such thing as a well-rounded leader but there can be well-rounded teams and learning to live um, your priesthood out of a team of people who respect you love you care for you have a diversity of strengths and gifts have the emotional maturity to disagree on tactical things so that we're making the best decisions over and over again transforms your priesthood and your leadership yeah because if you're thinking about all those things in yourself I get the fatigue that these guys are under like they are heroes like they are noble heroes I love the priests and the priesthood yeah. um and and we are currently not set up for success um and so we can change the way we do things to get results that we've never seen in this generation 100% possible I see it all the time it is not easy but it is possible and
0: yeah you know it's not easy it is possible but you know what living the way we are living right now is not easy either right it's painful um people are working very very hard it's like the the question is are you going to work hard for something that's actually going to work in the culture that you've been given or are you going to work hard and not see results (laughs)
1: right
0: right i mean it's or, or or see such small results and, and convince yourself as kind. Of, well, that just has to be enough. Mm. No, I think I think there's more. It's like okay. you know, we need to allow ourselves to dream for more because this is God's dream that you know goes after the one for crying out loud, right? right. You know, it's like, and we've got a whole lot more than one. It's kind like, of you know, how are we going to follow His call to go after? those lost shape. it's like Paying and out. the great you know because god is so good it's like really this is fun i mean yeah it's work but but i mean it's really fun work people ask me all the time it's like do you miss teaching it's like i miss the students i miss that age range because i don't encounter mm. them quite as much anymore it's like, but on the other hand I this i mean this is just crazy fun <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is if yeah, was, I mean, working was, with the parishes, yeah.
0: working with such good people, but every single time that I get to actually evangelize, uh, it's it's the highlight of my day. It really wow.
1: is. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful, Wendy. That's a great place to wrap up. This is just this hope, this hope for more and God wants more. Uh, guys, you got to get this book, yeah. Four Ways Forward. Read it. It'll make you think. It'll make you reflect. It's such a gift to the church, Wendy. Thank you for being our guest today. And and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us.
0: Well, thank you. This is a lot of fun.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And thank you for all you listeners that continue to follow, continue to share the podcast with others, to engage in the conversation. Please leave some comments. Ask me some questions. What do you want to hear about as it relates to leadership as a Catholic, whether in your business or in your church, that we can break open, discuss, tackle head on? I really appreciate all that you guys do. Thank you. Please favor it, subscribe, whatever that looks like. Uh, it all helps the message get out there. God bless you, and thank you all very much. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.